0: When I was a young boy, I remember standing in my family's living room and I was quite confused because the furniture was all put on top of one gallon tin coffee cans. And I thought, why is this happening? Later that night, our family of four piled into our car and I distinctly remember to this day A lot of our clothing on hangers just flopped over the front seat where my mom and dad were and my brother and I in the back seat and thinking, why is this happening? What my parents knew that I, as just over three years of age, could not understand was that there was a flood coming to our river town. And the water might rise above the first floor, and so gaining those few extra inches with the coffee cans, they were hoping to spare the furniture if the water came into the house. And the clothes in the car, we didn't have time to pack. It was just throw them in and head out of town as quickly as possible. And obviously we survived. But when we face a crisis, when disorienting things happen to us, we naturally ask, Why is this happening? And this is certainly the case with the virus that now stalks our world. The world around us really doesn't have any answer to that question. Not to the why question. They can answer the what question. As scientists study this virus and understand what is happening, we can understand what is happening. But there is no answer for the unbeliever as to why. This pandemic just is. It's fate, it's random bad luck, or perhaps people just ignore that question altogether and seek one form of escape or another. But as Christians, we face this question knowing that God is involved in this pandemic to one degree or another. And sadly, yes, it is one degree or another because we have Christian theologians who differ on the answer. Some would look us in the eye and say this virus is the work of Satan and God has nothing to do with it. There are other Christian in name, theologians, who put God in a largely reactionary position. That is, he has no purpose. He has no power to intervene. He just stands back and feels badly for us, reacting to things as they unfold and as he continues to learn and to adjust to the trials that we face. Again, there are Christian theologians in name who will look you in the eye and say, this is the case. There's nothing God can do. What does the Bible reveal? Why is this crisis happening? What is God doing? How we answer that question is vital. And we do have revealed in scripture answers. There are answers that we have and there are answers that we do not have. And by way more of application, I'd like to address the answers we do not have at the end of this talk. But as we consider some of the answers that we do have, let's turn to the precious promises of scripture. Lamentation chapter three comes right after the book of Jeremiah, but let's make our way there in Scripture to Lamentation chapter 3 and verse 37. We have a classic statement here of why troubles come. Lamentation chapter 3, probably written by the prophet Jeremiah at a time of great calamity in Israel, a time of destruction, a time where they had been militarily overwhelmed and were suffering famine in all kinds of difficulty in lamentation chapter 3 lamentations chapter 3 verse 37 we read this who has spoken and it came to pass unless the lord has commanded it that is no one issues a decree no one initiates a court course of action unless god has ordained it Now, he's not saying that everything people choose to do conforms to God's character or to his heart's desire. But what he is saying is that even the free choices of powerful people fall under God's sovereign rule. That had a particular point of application for the Israelites at this time. But in verse 38, the text moves more broadly. Notice it there in verse 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? The Hebrew word translated bad here is the word ra'ah. It is often translated evil or calamities. Amos 3.6, in support of this very point, Amos asks, Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And the word done, translated done there, is the Hebrew asah, to do or to make. So no calamity, no disaster, comes to a city unless the Lord has done it. Unless, as we find here in verse 38 of Lamentation 3, the mouth of the Most High has spoken it. Good and bad are decreed by the Lord. So Eden Baptist Church, let me assure you on the authority of God's word that the COVID-19 pandemic is happening because God has ordained it to happen. We can have full confidence in this. God does not delight in death. God is not morally responsible for the curse of disease or the existence of death. We are. But the point is that nothing happens in this world that God has not ordained to happen. Nothing. He's not in heaven pacing the floor wondering why this pandemic took place. He's not wringing his hands wondering what to do next. Now please don't miss this. It's very important. God does grieve with us the suffering that you are enduring, some far more than others through this trial, God grieves. Those who have lost their lives to this pandemic and to a thousand other forms of death every day since we've learned the word COVID-19, God grieves. He's no Buddha sitting peacefully with eyes closed, ignoring our suffering. He's the God of the cross. He's the God who sent his son to die. He's the Christ who took our place and bled and suffered and died. So we might picture it more from the standpoint of a parent who disciplines a child. God has ordained this suffering for this world. He is ruling sovereignly over it, but not with impassioned indifference. He grieves with us. He suffers as well in some sense. So we need to know this, Eden Baptist Church. The one true and living God reigns as sovereign Lord over all that comes to pass, including the calamity we now face. And I find in that great hope and great comfort, it would bring me no comfort to say that God reigns sovereignly over all the sunny, happy days of your life. Because there's a lot of days that aren't like that. But we find here in Lamentations this promise. He reigns over it all. Good and the bad come from his ordaining throne. And we trust in that. We rest in that. In a more general sense, we read this principle in Ephesians chapter 1. I invite you to note that passage as well. Let's set our eyes upon it and think about it carefully. Ephesians chapter 1. We read here that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Notice that phrase there at the end He works. According to his purpose, that is what he chooses to do. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. All that comes to pass in this waking world unfolds according to the determined plan of the sovereign God. And we praise his name. God has ordained this pandemic. And he is steering directing, ordering, and ruling over every aspect of this crisis with absolute authority. We can stand on this foundation. We can know that this is the case. He's revealed it to us. And in him then we trust absolutely. The existence, the movements, the effects of a microscopic parasitic virus are as ordained by God as the orbit of the earth around the sun and the orbit of the moon around the earth. So why is this happening? Because the creator and sustainer of the universe has sovereignly ordained that it happened. Now, here, to us. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 27, speaks of the, I quote, Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them, that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, health and COVID-19, riches, And poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. In the two texts that we have read, as well as in the entire corpus of Scripture, we find this truth again and again that all that comes to pass is ordained by the hand of our Father, brought to pass. By his wise purposes. We rest in this. We stand on this. Another answer that we have, and I use it just representatively, but notice James chapter 1. If we'd make our way to James chapter 1. We know of this passage well, for we run into many trials in this life, and it's a comfort to us, but there are many other texts that support what James is saying here. But in chapter 1, of James' epistle, verse 2. James 1-2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, for this is what God is doing as he brings you through suffering and trial. Why is this pandemic happening? God has promised us that everything that we suffer is intended by him to deepen our faith and to mature us. I can know this. Are you assaulted by fear? I mean, honestly. There's no shame in admitting it in confessing it. It's really good and helpful. But are you assaulted by fear? Have you lost your income? Has this pandemic shattered some of your dreams? A canceled graduation? Ministry trip? Over. An internship that's not going to happen. A vacation that's not going to happen or maybe it's just the loss of an opportunity to celebrate a birthday, an anniversary, a wedding, to attend a funeral. Where our dreams have been shattered by suffering, we can be perfectly certain that our loving God intends that disappointment to deepen our spiritual maturity and grow our trust in Him. He is working in us to put our faith in Him, to grow spiritually. And if we get that, if we accept what He says that He's doing, we will rejoice. That does not mean we will enjoy the loss of a job, the shattering of a dream, a lost opportunity, as if they're good in themselves. They're not good in themselves, but a good God uses them in this fallen and cursed world to deepen our faith and our trust in Him. By severing some of the supports and the ties of this world, he enables us to deepen and strengthen the tethers to the world to come, to the heart of God. Our trust in him can grow through the trials of life. And so he calls upon us to rejoice, even though we're confused, disoriented, disappointed, Even though we do not know what a day will bring forth, we can put our trust in this, that God is building and growing us through this trial, and we can rejoice. This is just a sketch of some of the answers that we have. In big terms, we know that God has ordained this crisis, and that he means it for our growth and our development in faith. But I want to talk now about some answers that we do not have. And to be careful as we work to nurture our hearts and not allow this crisis to turn us actually away from God. And there are ways in which we can do that by providing answers that we really don't have. When my family was fleeing into the night to escape a flood, my three-year-old mind could not comprehend what a flood was. I had no idea why we needed to run away from it and to secure our safety. Imagine then how much higher are the thoughts of God to our thoughts concerning the crisis that we now face. If I would compare my knowledge at that, when I was three to my parents and what was going on There's no comparison. The distance is infinitely greater between our knowledge of this crisis and God's knowledge. He's doing things we could never understand. And obviously, then, God does not often reveal specifically why he ordains suffering. Not specifically. We know that he does ordain it. We know generally that he works all things together for our good to conform us to the likeness of Christ. And so he calls us, as I was in my parents' car that night, to just sit still, make the journey, and trust mom and dad. This is where God is with us as we go through a crisis like this. He's saying, trust me. I know what I'm doing. I love you. This will end well but he doesn't satisfy all of our curiosity. We cannot fully comprehend why God has ordained such suffering, or precisely what he intends to accomplish through it, and we need to be at peace with that. That statement, we can respond in two ways. We can respond in a wrong way or in a right way. And I want to talk about the wrong response here for a few moments to guard us against it and to guard and to help us in our counsel with others who are perhaps struggling with us, whether in our church, our families, our extended families, our neighbors, other believers on the Internet. The wrong response is to try to figure out what God has not told us and thus to play God. In times of crisis, I think on some level we are all susceptible to believing myths or finding secret knowledge. Myths are explanations about mysterious realities, secret truths about what is really happening and why. Now, in that mode, there are two different bents that some Christians might have in a time like this. Some Christians are susceptible to believing myths that provide the answer they desperately want to hear. The myth or the secret knowledge that they find may feed their political beliefs. It may feed anger toward a certain group of enemies. It may feed our fears and our lust to find security in troubled times but we're susceptible to hearing what we want to hear. And the danger then is to seek security in answers that come not from the mind of God, but from the mind of man. And thus they form an idolatrous stronghold in our hearts. On the other end of the scale, are Christians susceptible to believing myths that tell them what they do not want to hear? That paint the worst case scenario, the doomsday scenario. People snort these myths like they're meth. Then they go about figuring out how to defeat or to trick the forces of darkness. They grow obsessed with preparing to avoid the pain that all the ignorant people out there fail to realize. So either way, whether hearing what we want to hear and believing it, a myth because it's what we want to hear, or hearing what we don't want to hear and then preparing to defeat it. I would warn us as a church, as the followers of Christ, that both orientations are rooted in pride. They are rooted in a desire to play God. The way this often looks is in pride, I can get on the internet, and my blessed fingers will take me this way and that, zigzagging across space, and I will land on one secret truth discovery after another. Every one of us is susceptible to this pride. We think the people we've read, the sites we've gone to, the people we've talked to, have put together the perfect scenario to provide the wisdom that God has not provided the insight, the secret story behind the scenes. We must avoid this danger, we must resist it. Because the danger that is laced into it is an orientation away from God and the word that he has revealed. As if we grow dull to and accustomed to and even bored with what God has revealed. We're drawn away from a vibrant walk with God as we become obsessed with finding out truth behind the scenes, and I say truth in quotations, these myths, these explanations that God has not revealed. So if we're not to chase secret knowledge, the myths that tell us what we want to hear or warn us of disasters only a special fraternity of smart people knows about, then how are we to respond to this crisis? All that has been said, of course, feeds into that answer, but let me say that the right response is to lament, to lament your suffering, to seek God's face for the strength to persevere, to walk in the wisdom that he has revealed to us about what suffering is and how to persevere through it. So when we look at the Lamentations in the Bible, perhaps the book of Lamentations, but the Psalter, which is filled with Lamentations, we never see it as a means by which to figure out why God ordains the evil or the suffering that He has brought about. What is the secret path of escape? None of that. The Lamentations of Scripture reflect the willingness to grieve, to go to God for refuge and strength, to build the sinews and the muscles of our faith and our trust in God in the darkness. If you remember our reading from uh, Wednesday night, you make your way again to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We read this psalm in our groups on Wednesday night and it ends, verse 13 of Psalm 27, with these beautiful words. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There it is. Even in lamentation, to wait upon the Lord. To rest upon Him, waiting for Him, seeking His face. Verse 8 of Psalm 27. That's not the same as surfing the internet to find answers that God has not revealed. To get behind the scenes and to think that I can discover some secret knowledge to these things. Such answers are certain to pull us down wrong paths and to pull us away ultimately from God. So let me picture it this way. Say that you're standing on the tarmac at an airport. And you're overwhelmed by the noise and the wind from the airplanes that are landing and you have no idea what's really going on in the big picture. But someone invites you up to the control tower and you go up to that room that overlooks the entire airfield and you say, oh, I see. I understand why this plane is going there and this plane is going here and this one's taking off and this one's, I get the whole picture. I see, how I now I understand what's going on on the tarmac. Some of us will be tempted, maybe all of us in places, are tempted to seek that vantage point when it comes to the suffering of life. To seek the control tower view of everything that's going on and to have this unique insight. But God does not invite us into His control tower. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His way is above our ways. We could not handle it if he did invite us into his control tower. So what does he do? What God does to picture it is more like put us in an airplane on the field. And he tells us to taxi along the runway, taking this turn and that as his purpose unfolds before us. We're just looking out this window that doesn't see everything, but it sees the path in front of us and it sees I need to turn onto this runway or that runway and to look at the instrument panel and to fly where God wants us to fly and win. That's a picture of what it is to walk by faith, not to get in the control tower and see everything and why it's happening, but to see what's in front of us and to trust God one step at a time on the basis of what he has revealed. The danger then is to get lured into someone else's control tower. God has not invited us into his. He's given us just enough what we need to get along the tarmac and to take off in our plane. But when we get lured into someone else's control tower, We enter into the secret knowledge of the few zealots who are smart enough to fight the forces of evil. That's going to only feed our pride. And it will burn us in the end. Stay in your airplane. Fly for God's glory. Listen to his word. This very idea I draw from the classic book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Read that book if you've not read it. It's gold. May a great thing to do if you have extra time at home to read the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. But he says this in the realm of understanding how to live wisely and to seek God's counsel. He says this, the mistake that is commonly made is to suppose that the gift of wisdom consists in a deepened insight in the prov- into the providential meaning and purpose of events going on around us. An ability to see why God has done what he has done in a particular case and what he is going to do next. People feel that if they were really walking close to God, they would discern the real purpose of everything that happened to them. And it would be clear to them every moment how God was making all things work together for good. But it is folly, Packer warns, to try to read a message about God's secret purposes out of every unusual thing that happens to us. May none of us make this mistake in these days. Rather than trying to find secret knowledge, supplying answers to questions God has not revealed, may he find us trusting his sovereign power, seeking his face, the face of the one who loved us and gave himself for our eternal redemption. May he find us on our knees praying that God will keep us and draw us close to his truth in these challenging days. I'm praying for you. God is for us. Rest in him. Trust in him. Seek him in prayer. Let's talk about these matters together that we may process through these days of unique suffering for the glory of his name and for the good of our souls by his grace alone through Christ.